Christian faith and fiction, inspirational reading suggestions, along with chats about the Christian faith. The following episode is an audio version of a video that I recorded for my YouTube channel, Christian Faith and Fiction. If you would like to watch the video rather than listen to the audio, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes. Please do share your thoughts by commenting either on the video or on the relevant blog post, links in the show notes. Have you ever wondered what the connection is between the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and the Easter story? Welcome back to my channel, Christian Faith and Fiction. My name's Lou, and today I'm going to be sharing with you my reading vlog for The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. I'm going to be sharing with you my thoughts on the book, as well as my thoughts on how it relates to the Christian story and the story of Jesus in the Gospels, of his birth, his death and his resurrection, and how that relates to us. If you have any thoughts of your own, please do share them down in the comments. Um, feel free to keep sharing as you are going through and watching it. I would definitely advise you to read the book before you watch any more of this video. If you haven't done already, um, add this video to your watch later list. Go ahead, read the book because there's going to be a lot of spoilers for the story. Alongside this book, I've also been um, looking at the relevant parts of The Heart of the Chronicles of Narnia by Thomas Williams and The Family Guide to Narnia by Kristen Ditchfield and also Finding God in the Land of Narnia by Kurt Brunner and Jim Ware. Hi, so I've read the first three chapters of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and um, so far in the story Lucy has found the wardrobe, gone into the wardrobe, found Narnia and gone and had tea with the fawn and then she's come back into her own world and no time has passed and her siblings don't believe that she um, is telling the truth. They go, um, they kind of play along with her for a while, they go and look in the wardrobe themselves but they can't find anything, it's just an ordinary wardrobe. And I was thinking about the way that sometimes when we encounter God and we speak to our non-Christian friends about God, they may um, call you a liar or they may um, decide that you're delusional um, or mad. Um, and maybe like Edmund, they might start to tease you and persecute you for, um, for what you believe. And the answer to that is to basically to do what Lucy did and keep strong in what you believe keep telling the truth and um, people will have to start saying well is this person um, normally a liar if you're not someone who tells lies normally then your character will help to back up what you're saying about your experiences with God and um, if you are normally a quite a sensible person then your um, behaviour should hopefully back up what you are saying that it's not, you're not completely crazy. Um, and hopefully there will be a curiosity there and that um, we can all pray for our non-Christian friends and family that they too will experience that presence of God, just as Lucy's family also experienced Narnia and then they had to believe for themselves 
I've read some more of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and uh, so far Edmund has now found his way into Narnia and while he's there he um, meets the White Witch and the Queen as she calls herself and he is given some Turkish delight to eat. He is offered anything he wants and he asks for that and um, she gives him that well knowing that once he's eaten it he will want more and more and more and so um, he then meets Lucy and they go back into our world but instead of um, confessing that he has also been there to Peter and Susan he says that he didn't go and makes Lucy out to be even more um, crazy than she was before but it doesn't go down well with Peter and Susan because they um, think he's just been winding her up. All three of the books that I've read about this Narnia series all mention this um, episode with the Turkish delight and um, at least a couple of them talk about that being a representative of like addictions and drug addictions and how once you've had some they, you just become addicted to it and you, you'll do anything to get your next fix of it including betraying your own family and this is what we will see from Edmund and his story he just gets more and more um, sucked into the white witch's lies until he willingly takes himself off to her castle where he becomes enslaved by her and all because of his addiction to her Turkish delight. I also saw that the the White Witch was playing on Edmund's insecurities and his pride as well, um, making out that he would be the prince and that all his brothers and sisters would be lesser people, making him feel special when clearly he feels like he must have had um, some insecurities as being the second youngest brother and Peter being the eldest. There's some kind of jealousy and competition that goes on behind the scenes there. And I think it's a really good picture of how the, the devil works with us on our insecurities and takes those things that we already have inside of us and uses them against us to um, justify the, the means that we take that are sinful in order to, to get the ends that we want. I also think that Edmund's story represents the character of Judas Iscariot in the Bible stories. Judas was someone who was in charge of the money bags um, as the Gospels tell us and he apparently used to help himself to the money and so when the woman comes and brings the perfume and breaks it on Jesus' feet he is um, disgusted by that because he wanted to sell he would have liked to have sold that for money and then he could have taken some money himself from that and we see that his addiction to getting money and to stealing leads him to betray Jesus for money. Edmund also represents Peter um, as when Edmund goes back into uh, the into our world with Lucy he denies that he has been to Narnia and lets Lucy down. Just as Peter denied Jesus, as Jesus was taken 
um, on trial and to be questioned. Peter said that he never knew him. Thankfully, we're going to see later on in the story that this is not the end of the story and that Aslan can make things better just as Jesus can um, redeem those of us who have denied or even betrayed God. And then the story moves on and all four children get into Narnia and they are met by a beaver, Mr. Beaver, and taken to his house in um, the dam on the river. And they meet Mrs. Beaver and have some food with them and talk about Aslan. And this is when they um, first hear of Aslan, all three of the children feel something stirring inside of them that's really good and something exciting and Edmund feels something stirring that is scary and he doesn't like it. They then talk about the prophecies that have been spoken about the coming of Aslan and the four children and they're sitting on the four thrones of Ker Paravel. And the gospel accounts also give us accounts of how Jesus' birth, death and resurrection was also prophesied and how we are um, it was prophesied that we would come back into relationship with him. And the books that I've been reading also talk about the phrase, Aslan is not a tame lion. He's good, but he's not necessarily safe because God is both loving and holy. So the next part in the story is that Edmund leaves the other children at the beaver's house and goes to meet the white witch at her house. He thinks he is going there to get more Turkish delight and to be made a prince. But when he gets there, he realises he's made a really terrible mistake and he is now the witch's slave, as it were. And this really spoke to me a lot about the way that sin um, tempts us, think, making us um, think that we are going to get what we want. We're going to fulfil our appetites. We're going to... Um, be happy, we're going to get success, we're going to get fame, we're going to get position and leadership and actually what we end up is becoming a slave to sin and ultimately that slavery can lead to, um, leads to death or eternal death in our case. In Edmund's case um, the witch decides that um, instead of killing all, all four of them she will just decide to kill him because that, that way the prophecies cannot be fulfilled and this is so representative of the good news of God in the Bible that starts off with bad news, that we have all done things wrong, we've all betrayed God, and therefore we are now a slave to the sin that we thought was going to make us, um, give us everything we wanted. And now we are in a position that we cannot escape from that um, sentence to death. And just as Edmund needed Aslan to come in and save him, we need Jesus to come and save us from sin. We can't just um, work our way out of it. We can't just live a better life and it will cancel it out. We need to be set free from that sin that's holding us um, bound. The other three children, meanwhile, make their escape from the beaver's house so that the witch can't catch them and they are making their way across to um to Aslan and on the way there they meet Father Christmas. Father Christmas gives them um gifts. This whole part of the story um really reminds me of Christmas obviously and the coming of Jesus and Aslan has just come back to Narnia and 
as he's coming, the this the winter that was there before it starts to melt away, and spring comes, and Father Christmas can get in. And Father Christmas for me, and um, bringing gifts is a bit like, well, one of two things. Firstly, the kings that they brought gifts in the nativity story brought gifts. Um, to Jesus that would be helpful to him but also the Holy Spirit it really speaks to me like the spiritual gifts and um, C.S. Lewis says that these gifts are tools not toys and spiritual gifts I I, I know sometimes as a, a Pentecostal and a charismatic that we play around with spiritual gifts that we use them in the church and we use them for our own benefit and we don't use them in the way that God intended us to use them, which is to go out into the world and, you know, pray for the sick and um, have words of wisdom and words of knowledge for people out in the world so that they might come to know Jesus. When the children reach Aslan, they are overwhelmed, they bow down, they worship, um, just like the kings coming to um, see Jesus in that first Christmas story. And Aslan sends out his um, his followers to go and rescue Edmund from the witch, which they do. And Edmund is brought back safely to Aslan. But the witch comes back and comes and says to Aslan, look, this is not enough. It's not enough for you to bring him in as one of your followers. You have to obey the deep magic that is written into the stone table. A family guide to Narnia says that the stone table and the writing on it um, that C.S. Lewis had says that um, that represented the the Ten Commandments on the stone table, um, stone tablets that God gave to Moses. And so, thinking about that, the stone table being the law, um, the law that was written into the world, um, states that. You know, if if you do these sins, you deserve death. To me, the animals coming, the talking animals coming and saving as um, saving Edmund from the White Witch and taking him into the camp um, of Aslan speaks to me a bit of um, animal sacrifice. In the Old Testament, God put in place this temple and tabernacle system where um, animals would be sacrificed on behalf of people so that God could have a relationship with people on the earth. But it was not enough to give them eternal life. And just as it was not enough for those animals to come and save Edmund from the White Witch and bring him back to Aslan, it was not enough to save his life because of what was written on the stone table. So it's the same with us. That animal sacrifice was enough to bring us into relationship with God here on earth, but it was not enough to save us eternally. And so Aslan makes this bargain with the White Witch and we will find out later what that bargain is but she renounces her claim on Edmund and it's only because of that bargain that Edmund is truly free and that is the same with us. Um, We need Jesus um, to be truly free and I will continue with this in um, the next instalment. Now we come to the part of the story that is most iconic and um, most resembles the uh, story of Jesus and uh, starts with Aslan going off into the wood and 
the um, two girls, Lucy and Susie, Susan, follow him there and he's quite happy for them to go with him. In fact, he really wants company as he's going along. And um, this really reminds me and other people of um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and how he wanted his disciples to stay awake and pray with him. Only, unfortunately, they fell asleep. Um, and like the the women who follow Jesus to the cross and to the crucifixion, um, Lucy and Susan stay awake and they go with him. Aslan willingly walks to his death um, and the, the witch and the creatures with her kind of assume that he might try and fight back, but he doesn't. He just walks silently towards the stone table and that reminded me and um, in one of the other books as well about the, the passage in Isaiah that said um, Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter and um, of how Jesus didn't complain in his uh, his trials. He didn't speak out. He didn't um, fall into that trap of um, trying to say too much, but he knew what he had to do. Before the witch kills Aslan, she has him first shaved and bound. And that re reminds me just so much of how Jesus was flogged and tortured and mocked um, and had a crown of thorns put on his head. And Aslan is mocked and called a big cat and um, taunted that he is just a little kitty. He's not really powerful at all. And we find out just before the witch stabs him with her stone knife that the deal with the witch has been that Aslan will die in Edmund's um, place, that he will take the place of the traitor, an innocent person. He will take the tra place of the traitor Edmund. And that is just so much the gospel all over, that Jesus came as an innocent person to take the place of us who have um, broken our vows to God, who have sinned, who have done things wrong and therefore have act, um, acted as traitors towards him and that we deserve death but that Jesus took our place and took that death on the cross. All of the, the creatures there and the witch are all gloating and they're all celebrating and they think that they've won and the Bible accounts don't tell us what the devil was doing when Jesus was dying and when he died. But I can imagine that this is quite true to how it might have been that they were celebrating. At least for a time, they thought that they had won. They thought that they had inspired um, events so far that they would kill the Son of God. But of course, we know that it doesn't end there. Lucy and Susan stay with Aslan's body and they weep over him and the the mice come and they nibble away the cords and they remove um, the muzzle from him. And that's just like uh, the, the women who were weeping with the body and um, Joseph and Nicodemus came and took the body away and buried it in the tomb. Eventually, as the sun is rising early in the morning, Lucy and Susan decide that they will have to go and so they, they walk away, begin to walk away, and then they hear a loud crack sound and a loud noise. And they go back thinking that um, they're doing something more and thinking that someone has stolen the body because what they see is an empty stone table that's cracked in two. And um, 
this is just so much like the the story of the the women who went to the tomb early in the morning and they looked in and it was empty and the stone was rolled away. Lucy and Susan then see um, Aslan standing there and they they think he's a ghost to start with and but then they run towards him and feel him and feel that he is real and alive and um, a real beast and not a ghost. And this just reminds me of the story with Thomas after the resurrection when he um, he sees, he says he won't believe that Jesus is risen until he's seen him and touched him. And Jesus appears to him and says, that come and put your hand in my wounds and see that I am really real. And Thomas does that and he believes. Aslan's resurrection cracks the stone table in two. And as we as said earlier on, the, the stone table represents the, the law. And the, in this case, it's the law of sin and death and that the that um, those who sin deserve eternal death and that law is broken in two and now um, the new law or the deeper magic has overcome the deep magic. So the law that stood over us now has been broken and the the, the law of sacrifice where um, an, an innocent sacrifice, in this case God himself as a sacrifice came and broke that off of us so that we now if we accept him if we join Aslan's side as it were in this story then we are um we become friends of of God and we we get to have eternal life and I just want to say that if you haven't got a relationship with Jesus of your own if you haven't understood the message of the Bible if you haven't understood before of what it means to accept that Jesus died for you and rose again and that you can have eternal life after death through him, then you can take this moment right now to reach out to him in prayer and just offer your life to him saying, I, Jesus, I believe in you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my king. I want you to be my friend. And if you've done that for the first time or you're wanting to make a commitment back to God, then please do leave um, a comment down below and also, you know, look up a church nearby to you that you can continue on your journey with God. So in the final part of this story, um, Aslan takes Lucy and Susan to the witch's castle where they go and Aslan breathes on the statues that the witch has turned to stone and they come back to life again. This reminds me of a couple of instances. One is in the Gospel of John where Jesus breathes on the disciples after he's resurrected and he um, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the word uh, spirit is pneuma in Greek and that's also the word for breath. It's also the same in um, in Hebrew, the word ruach is also the word for breath and spirit. There's also a promise in the Old Testament that talks about God changing our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And that is what happens when we become a Christian, our hearts be stop becoming so hard. We are able to um, live and breathe and move in the way that God has designed us. We become a new creation, as it were. And so we go from being frozen by um, our past and we are able to live again in the presence of God and through the Holy Spirit. And Aslan 
takes all those people that he has recreated that he has brought back to life and he makes them into an army and he takes them out into the battle to fight against the white witch and this is kind of where we are at the moment as a church we have been made new creations as when we become a christian we have been set free from the past but we are now in a battle against the enemy and the ultimate defeat will come when jesus comes again Jesus' death has put an end to the enemy's reign of death over us if we have turned to him. And we also see at the end of the battle the use of um, Father Christmas gifts um, being used. That is, uh, Lucy has the gift of healing people, um, which is like the gift of healing through the Holy Spirit. And she works alongside Aslan to restore people to life again. And I just, I love that picture of the way that God calls us to work with him to restore people and to work within the church and to um, bring healing to people and bring restoration as he is breathing his life into them. We are also called to use the gifts that he has given us to um, not just to fight, but also to heal people. And we see that this book doesn't just end there. There are, are This is just the beginning of all the adventures that the children go on to have and just just as for us when we become Christians that's not the end of the story we then have we then go on to have adventures with God and I love how exciting that is in this story and I love how exciting that is for us as we have um, given our lives to God that's not the end that is just the beginning. So there are some of my thoughts on The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe um, please do share your thoughts down in the comments below. Thank you to everyone who has liked, uh, commented, shared or um, subscribed to my channel. I really appreciate that. I pray that this story will be a blessing to you and to your families and that you will come to know the true meaning of both The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and C.S. Lewis's faith and the Easter story and Jesus. Okay, next one in this series I'll be reading will be The Horse and His Boy, um, but I'll be back again with another video soon. Have a great week. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Christian Faith and Fiction podcast. If you would like more information, you can click the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app to make sure you catch the next episode.